0: Okay, uh, we're in Psalm 119, just a little piece of advice. Husbands, husbands, if you're here, it's a good thing to tell your wife that you love her. But it is a far better thing if you tell your wife, this is what I love about you. If you have some real specific detail something that you love about your wife and rather than just saying honey sweetheart muffin whatever your pet name is i love you instead this is what i love about you psalm 119 is a kind of love letter slash prayer it is a person expressing their love to the Lord. But they are not simply saying, I love you, Lord. They are saying something very specific of what they love about the Lord. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, and this author uses 176 verses to say, Lord, I love it when you speak. Lord, you know what I love about you so much? I love the things that you say. Lord, I love all the things that you've said. Lord, I love it when you tell me about your deeds that you've done. And Lord, I love it when you tell me about the things you're going to do. Lord, I even love it when you tell me your laws. I love it when you tell me how you've called us to live. Lord, I love it and I appreciate it when you warn us about leaving your path. Lord, I just want you to know, I love all your words. Everything that you've said. In a very helpful book that Donald Whitney wrote entitled, How Can I Be Sure I'm a Christian? He points out in this book one of the evidences that help us know that we are truly born again, that we're truly a part of the family of God, includes having in our hearts a unique kind of love for God's word. This is one of the key evidences of knowing that you are a Christian. I highly recommend the book to you if you're struggling with doubting whether you are or are not a Christian. And if you are struggling with doubting about whether you are or are not a Christian, I want you to know you're in good company because probably most of the people sitting in this room have struggled with that doubt a time or two. And I found that book to be a very useful tool. As I said, in there, he says, a love for God's Word. Your, your heart's inclination towards God's Word is a key evidence that this saving work of God's Spirit has taken place in your life. Now, he bases this on 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a, a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, Whitney goes on to quickly clarify No one but Jesus has ever perfectly and consistently obeyed the commands of God. Nevertheless, obedience to the Word of God characterizes the lifestyle of a disciple of Jesus. Those who know Christ aren't aimless, they obey Him purposefully. They become learners of His Word and set out to obey it. Despite frequent failures, they persevere. Concern for obedience to God is clearly Christian. Carelessness is not. For the Christian, the Bible is altogether a very unique book. It's not just that we love the words and enjoy the stories or appreciate, it's Varied literature aspects. It's beautiful, it's poetic, it's informative, it's fascinating. I found a really inspiring couple verses in there. It's not really that. Instead, it's because of what it claims itself to be, breathed out by God's Spirit. And it forms in us a set of convictions about God's Word, that they are true That they are right, that they are good, that they are needed, even necessary, that they are understandable, as well as sufficient for you and I to truly know who God is. And these convictions produce a kind of lifestyle that are characterized by words like keeping his word, walking in them, guarding them, and obeying them all of this can nicely be summed up in a phrase that's in our text today a phrase that many of you would be very familiar with your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path that is a nice way of summing up the christian's heart and perspective and the demeanor of our heart towards. God's Word. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'd like to read our passage together. We're in Psalm 119. That is verse 105. I'd like us to read together 105 through 112. It's one of the stanzas that we're going to focus on today. I'd like to ask you to do something a little bit different as we read God's Word. Would you read it along with me? When we set off on this series, we said one of our desires is that the Psalm 119 would become our prayer. And I thought it might be helpful if your heart is so inclined that we would actually read this portion of the Psalm all together. So I'll read it, join in me, follow along, hopefully not too cacophonous, and we can recite this together. And I think in all of us, you saying it, All of us saying it together, I think the impact of the words will go a step further into our soul. Let's read it together. This is Psalm 119, beginning in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. According to your word, accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. For they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Thank you for joining me in that. God's word is a light to guide us. So, friends, let's stay on that path. Break down the outline simply like this. Focusing on our love for God's word. I love your word that lights my path. Second point, I love your word in times of trouble. And third, I love your word to the very end. Point number one, I love your word that lights my path. The metaphor of lighting a pathway is certainly about guidance. The images of a person walking in the dark, but having some kind of a, a lamp, a torch, a light that lights the pathway So they know where to step next to make sure they stay on the right path. When we go camping up in Kings Canyon, there is the rare occasion that I have to get up in the middle of the night and go find the bathroom. So I get out a flashlight and I begin the journey from the tent to the bathroom in the dark. And so I shine the flashlight on the ground. Most of the things in the camp I cannot see. All I can see is about two or three steps in front of me, and so I I use the light to guide my steps so that I don't trip over a log, so I don't bump into a tree. It just gives me light enough to go in the direction that I need to go, and it takes me on a path one step at a time. I'd like to talk a little bit about how the Bible speaks about light. In particular, light on our path and light about guidance. Now, most of us want guidance, and most of us have used this verse, quoted this verse often, because there's many things we would like God to inform us about in the decisions of life, mostly career choices and major purchases and uh, marriage decisions and, and so forth. And, and we, we pray about these decisions. Oh, Lord, direct me. Give me the guidance that I need. Now, I'm going to emphasize something different, but I don't want to discount that. In fact, I would only encourage you, we should all be praying about every major decision that we make in life. And I do believe that God hears and answers those prayers in a variety of ways. There certainly might be wisdom in the scriptures that help inform the decisions that you and I make. There may be good good counsel with wise friends and people around you that can help in those decisions as well. And there certainly is the possibility of the Holy Spirit simply prompting your heart and directing you. All are good. All are encouraged. But while our inclination is to read Psalm 119, 105 and pull it up every time we've got a life decision to make, I think there's something above that and beyond that that we should look at first And foremost. How does the Bible speak primarily about lighting our path? What is the Bible's highest and most prominent use of light? It is the light of the gospel. Let me read a few verses by way of reminder to inform this perspective. In John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My point is, first and foremost, when we think about God lighting our path, that we ought to think, like the Bible teaches, that first and foremost, the most prominent way the Bible talks about this is the gospel light coming into our lives and lighting our paths, bringing us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And the light is seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the regenerating power of God's Spirit, this gospel light. This is an important starting point because this is designed to be what sets our path. In other words, it's from this light that we know how to proceed where to walk, how to take the next step, what our lives should look like. The metaphor includes our feet in a path, making it clear that we're talking about light to walk in. In other words, light to live by. In the same psalm, but later in verse 130, it speaks about the progress of this light, saying, the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. My point is we must get the gospel light right and first, and from there the details begin to unfold in our lives. So before you jump to, Lord, shall I buy the blue car or the red car, make sure you're first getting this gospel light that you and your soul are no longer walking in darkness and that that begins to inform I've been preaching this sermon to myself all week. I have the advantage of prepping and thinking about this. And so each day this week, I've been pressing myself with this question, Lord, praying God that your light would lamp my path, but asking myself, okay, in this situation, am I walking in the light that God has given? Am I walking in gospel light in this situation? Are the things that I'm meditating on, are, is the way that I'm going to work this morning, is the, is the way I'm responding and treating my, my family and the people in my household and my neighbors, and when I'm in line at the grocery store or whatever it might be, Lord, am I, am I walking in your light? You see how oh, this is shifting a little bit from, oh, Lord, tell me what to do next in life. Tell me which one to buy, which career path, which person, which this, which which that. If we start with the gospel light, we start asking ourselves questions. What does it mean to walk in this light when there's anger in my soul, bitterness in my soul? Am I walking in this light now, given these circumstances, this situation? How does the gospel light shine in your situation? In the thing that you're facing today, what you're dealing with, what you're walking through, what, what, is, what would gospel light shining on your path now look like? How would this gospel light inform you and direct your path in your specific situation that you're facing? Second point, I love your word, Lord, in times of trouble times when we feel this need for God's light the most. Verses 107 and verse 110 give us some specific context that the author is facing. It's about when there's danger. It's about when there's trouble. When I get up in the middle of the night and I try to walk through the house in the dark because I don't want to wake tammy up or flip a bunch of lights on, I can usually get around pretty well okay because I'm familiar with the house and so I don't need all the lights on to get from here to there. Unless somebody moves something or somebody left something in the way, unless there's some trouble in my way that I wasn't anticipating, that I wasn't expecting, then I begin to stumble. Then I bang my shin and stub my toe. Then I trip over this and then I trip over that. And those are the times... Most when I need light. There's three contexts that our author writes about. First, he says, When I'm severely afflicted, I am severely afflicted. Another translation would be, I have been brought very exceedingly low. These are times we need God's word to light our path because these are vulnerable times. It seems to be describing an internal struggle. I am wrestling with doubts. I am wrestling with fears. I am wrestling with anxieties. My soul is being brought very exceedingly low. And in times like this, oh Lord, Your word needs to be a lamp to my feet. I am feeling my weakness and I need your light to guide my path in this situation. Here he prays and praises the Lord because his word lights his path. Because when we're afraid, The Lord speaks. The Lord has spoken. And he says, oh, you're afraid? Ah, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I am with you. What can man do to you if I'm for you? God speaks to our souls when we're low. When we're in trouble, he has things to say and his words light our path. When I'm anxious about the future, God has spoken. I take care of flowers and I take care of birds. And you are far more valuable to me than flowers and birds. How much more will I take care of? Of you. I know what you need. So when our soul is anxious, God speaks and His words begin to light our path. When our own weaknesses overwhelm us, God has spoken to that. Lord, I'm not gifted enough. I have weaknesses. I have shortcomings. And God speaks, you know, I can work with that. I have been working with that. To tell you the truth, that's all I work with. I work with weak people all the time. In fact, I kind of prefer it. I prefer that you get comfortable with that because in your weakness, I show myself strong. And my glory ends up Coming through in situations where you're dealing with your weakness, and I show myself strong, and I promise you, you will be glad on the other end of that equation. That is a good place to be. So I feel weak, I feel downcast, I feel discouraged, I feel not enough, but God speaks, and I say, Lord. I love it when you speak because those words light my path. And now I know where to step next. I know the direction I need to go. I have light in front of me that guides me. He says next I hold my life in my hand continually. It seems to be kind of a, a idiomatic phrase that is referring to the kind of risk and danger that this person is facing. It would be something like me saying, every time I get on the freeway, I feel like I'm taking my life in my hands. I'm stating a fact about how dangerous it is out on the freeway. And this psalmist is writing this and saying, you know, every time I get out of bed, every time I enter into my day, every time I go out the door, every time I face all what I'm facing in life, it's filled with dangers that are threatening me. It's like I'm taking my life in my hands all the time. There's trouble all around. Then he goes on to say, even the wicked have laid a snare for me. Jesus warned his disciples about this very thing. He spoke words that light your path when wicked people trouble you. He tells his disciples, well, now listen, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You're not first in line with being hated. You're not the first one who's been hated. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When there's fears and doubts within, when there's troubles all around, and add to all that real people who mean you harm, these are times that are the most disorienting. These are the moments in life where we feel we are most in the dark. What do I do? Where do I go? What's my next step? I don't know. I can't see it. How how are you going to interpret all that? How are you going to make sense out of a situation like that? And you have situations. You You could easily fill in those categories. You could, this very day, Analyze your life and put things into each of those categories. How are you going to interpret those things? How are you going to respond? What's your next step? Where are you going to put your foot next? Which direction are you going to go? Too many doubts. Too many fears. Too much danger. Too many bad people in the world. What are you going to do? Give up? Retreat, withdraw, hide, stay home, isolate. How about attack first? Hurt them before they hurt you. There's an option. Protect yourself by closing up your heart and refusing to love again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Gospel light shines. For me a different pathway, a new way to respond, a better way, a hopeful way. It shines so bright in a particular direction so clearly that I can even love an enemy. I can pray for someone who's persecuting me. I can forgive the worst of sinners. And I can venture out for the good of others in spite of all the apparent dangers it might present. Gospel light shines on a path, informs us, creates a lifestyle out of that gospel light. Third point, I love your word to the very end. Here the psalmist expresses his commitment into the future. Now, the metaphor paints a picture of light with just a step or two, okay? It's typically in the dark, a lamp, a lantern, something just gives you a little bit of light, enough to know. An ongoing commitment to staying on the path is needed, okay? It's not like you've got a beam of light shining, telling you everything about your future, all the details for the next decades of your life. It's giving you steps in front of you. It's also, this is part of what's in the heart of a Christian and how you relate to God's word. With that particular love for God's word comes a commitment to keep the word to the end. If I'm walking through the dark in Kings Canyon, and i can only see a, see a few steps sometimes there comes a point where you say this is taking too long i'm not sure i'm going in the right direction something feels off to me and you can make a, a decision to say i'm i'm going to forsake this path i'm not sure this is the right path so the fears and the doubts and the delays and the disappointments come closing in on you? As you know the the book of Hebrews was written to a local church that was facing this very kind of crisis? I think we should give up on Jesus because this isn't working out. In fact, ever since we chose Jesus, our lives have gotten more difficult and we've faced more troubles. And the writer steps in to talk to this church to convince them, don't leave this path. Stay on this path. I assure you, Jesus is better than the alternative. I know your life is filled with trials. I know there's trouble around. I know you're distraught in your soul. Let me help convince you that staying with Jesus is the safest, surest most glorious path, don't leave it. You and I need to be committed to God's word to the very end. It's going to sound a little strange, but it's like it only works if you keep it to the end. And the psalmist expresses his future commitment to God's word. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. Lord, the things that you've said, the promises that you made, all the words that you've spoken, they're my inheritance forever. I'm going to hold on to them. I'm going to keep them forever. I incline my heart to perform them forever to the end. Now, there's some reasoning behind this. One of the reasons that the Bible gives us that is convincing you and me to keep God's word all the way to the end is because God's word is eternal and will outlast all things. Okay, so if you're looking for long-term investment, Long term assurance. You affix your commitment to God's word because it's God's word that is going to outlast all things. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Put your trust in anything else, it will pass away put your confidence in God's word, they will remain forever. First Peter 1, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. What that means, that God's word is going to remain forever, what that, what that saying is communicating is that in the end, it will always prove to be right and true. For all the confusing moments you and I have going through our journey of life, and for all the ups and downs, and for all the other philosophies that come and tell us other ways and other things, God's word is going to remain. It will abide in the sense that when it's all said and done, it will stand alone and will be absolutely convincingly true. It will have been proven to be true all along. I know not everything is clear to all of us at the present. We don't understand all things. But we, the psalmist is expressing his commitment. I love it when you speak, Lord. And I'm putting my trust in your words. And I want you to know that my commitment is to keep your words all the way to the end. Friends, please keep in mind what I'm what I'm not saying. It's Psalm 119 is not meant to chide you into thinking you don't love God's word enough. You don't trust God's word enough. And you really need to get your act together and start trusting in God's word. What he's doing is and 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 what God's spirit is is wanting to do is to help us to see God and his word and from looking at it. So in a a sense, don't look in the mirror for the solution. Look to God's word and begin to behold more of the glory, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And let that increase your confidence. See the wisdom of God in the scriptures and let that increase your confidence and your devotion and your trust and your hope in god's word (laughs) gospel light leads us down a path to the greatest inheritance beyond our wildest dreams it's, it's an amazing thing if, you, if, it, if the reality of this dawns on you that God wants your greatest pleasure. He wants to glorify himself in your greatest pleasure. He's got a pathway that leads to joys beyond your comprehension. Like a loving father. He's, he's looking forward to the day when when our eyes are completely open to the full glory of who he is, and we are so amazed and so filled with joy, that's going to be his moment of great joy as well. Just like we as parents on Christmas morning with children opening presents, it's like, what's the joy? It's like seeing the joy on their face. As they're so elated and so surprised, and it's like, this is everything, this is beyond. God has this in mind. 2 Corinthians 4 says, "We, we, we do not lose heart. Friends, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And that path is a pathway lit by gospel light leading us to an extraordinary inheritance of great glory beyond comparison. That's why you and I should stay on that path. That's why each day you and I should be asking us, am, am I walking in gospel light today? Are the decisions that I'm making, the, the attitude in my heart, the things that are coming out of my mouth and the way I'm responding, is this walking on the path that the gospel has lit for me? Worship team, you can come on up. I'm about to close. Like I said, our aim in this series was that this love letter would become our own. and It would settle into our hearts that our love for God would be seen, found, and expressed in a love for his words, all of them, all the time. And you honestly say that it does? I ask myself, does my life reflect that? I ask myself, what is providing the light for my path? What are the things, the ideas, the philosophies, the motives in my heart that are guiding my steps? What is driving me? What is motivating me? What causes me to go this direction or that? When I began, I told you that Donald Whitney was identifying one of the evidences of being a Christian. It has to do with the demeanor in your heart towards God's word. It's possible that you hear those words and maybe somebody's saying, I don't really know what he's talking about. I, I don't I just I don't have any real experience or sense about the Bible like that. I, I hope what I'm saying gives you a proper concern. It would be, it would be healthy and good for you to be concerned if you feel indifferent about God's word. That's not a good place to be in. But I don't say that in a condemning way. I say it with an invitation. Would you look again? Would you open up the book again? Would you open it up prayerfully? Would you open it up humbly? Would you open it up with a a confession? Lord, open my eyes to see these wonderful things. That guy on Sunday was talking about wonderful things in your book. I haven't seen them Okay, if what he's saying is true, and if you're real, would you open my eyes to see? Would you show me some of this glory that's being talked about in and through your words? And look, and read, and pray, and seek. It's also very possible that there's a few of us in the room and say, yeah, I, I remember that kind of experience and I know I've had that but it's been a while. It's been a while. I'm not talking about fireworks every morning during your devotional time, okay? But I am talking about a sense of coming to the Lord in His Word, through His Word, and a disposition in your soul that is humble that is looking to it as it is god's very word i'm i'm seeing the face of god behind every page i'm hearing god's voice as i'm reading these words on the page and they are they are landing on me with a sense of authority not just like i would read any other book and observe and Make comment, have feelings, opinions about no, this book is God speaking to me, showing me things, telling me things. The remedy is the same. If you're saying, I've just, it's been a while, the remedy is the same. Would you come again? Would you look again? Would you open the book again? you pray and ask god's spirit to pray the same prayer lord would you open my eyes afresh again to see more of your glory in your words come humbly come seeking come prayerfully come submitted and come expecting and come expecting because this God continues to speak. And the book is alive. Jesus said, my words, they're life. They're spirit. There's something real going on here. It's not just printed words on the page. It's spirit-infused words breathed out of God, wanting to communicate who he is to you. Could we pray? Let's stand together and could we pray for that would just be just a living reality for you, for us corporately, that this would be something that would characterize this congregation. We have that kind of a view of God's word. We could write a love letter, 176 verses long, just to tell God, this is how much I love it when you speak. This is how much it means to me, Of all the things you've said. Spirit of God, would you do that in us? I I know this church, I know many of these folks, Lord, there is just a genuine love and hunger for your word. We've seen it. It is evident. Oh, Lord, all the more. Just refresh us in it. Make it a lifestyle for us bring to the forefront this wonderful evidence of your spirit at work in us that we would hunger and thirst for every word that you've spoken that we would feed on it like food, that it would encourage our hearts and strengthen us, that it would be a source, a light for our path especially in times of trouble that it would direct us and inform us inspire us and encourage us that you would be glorified with words that you've spoken it will last forever in Jesus name amen